Well, as Jeff so eloquently said, we're going to finish up chapter 3 today. And now know this, we're always going to say, Lord, what do you want to say? So if we've got to go back and revisit some things, we will. So I may tell you today we're going to finish, and the next week, it looks like I lied to you. (laughs) But we're just going to go where he leads. So we're in this chapter 3, and Paul has made some very clear statements that, that would be hard for the historical Jew to hear that the Jews are not um, the big kids on the block all the time, that we're all in the same boat. And you're going to hear language today that God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. So the Jews and Gentiles just means everybody else. So we're all in the same boat. And back then, Jews thought themselves higher than everyone else because they were given the responsibility of maintaining and holding close to their hearts the oracles of God. That's a huge responsibility, is it not? You have that responsibility, those of you that call Jesus Lord and Savior. But does that make you any greater than the person next to you? Does it make you greater value and greater worth than someone that doesn't know Jesus yet? No, it does not. But that's not easy for someone that grew up hearing that they're special or they have this special responsibility to hear that the people that you've been condemning your whole life are now part of the party? You think that would be hard to hear? Yeah, it is. And Paul addresses that. But he makes very clear the character and the person of Jesus and that it's God's grace that invites all people into his presence. And so we talked about grace the last couple of weeks and his faithfulness. One, we say that God cannot not be faithful. He's always faithful because it's not just an attribute of God. Sometimes the things that we read in Scripture, we, we silo them into attributes of God. Well, yeah, do we see them as actions of God? Yes, because they are Him. So if He is love, then everything He does is going to be what? Loving. Now, is it always perceived that way? No. It may not always be perceived that way. But he's always faithful because he is faithfulness. You cannot, we can do nothing that scripture tells us to do if God is not faithful. We can't. Can you trust someone that's not faithful? Are you going to surrender your life to someone that's not faithful or you don't trust? No. He has to be faithful so that we can be faithful. Anything good in this world has to be modeled to us, and it is, especially through the person of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the word grace. Many would say we all had different definitions, but they're all part of the package. But we would say the short answer would be grace is God's unmerited favor. Is that true? Yeah. But a way that we're looking at it so that we can understand God's faithfulness in a way to make sure that grace just doesn't end up on our bumper sticker, on our car, is that grace is the space to receive and exercise God's faithfulness. It's a way that we step in to God. We come to the end of ourselves and understand that I can't do it by myself. You cannot do it by yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot forgive your own sins. Jesus had to do that, as we see in the passage today. You can't do it. So grace affords us to leave the me space and enter the we space, and then we are invited to 
to see and receive the faithfulness of God. How many have experienced God's grace in your life? Okay. And if you look at it, it affords you what? Opportunity of a second, what? Chance. Would you see that? Would you see that as it gives you space or opportunity to receive God's faithfulness? Yes. And in that space, we extend that faithfulness to another. So we exercise it. We see it modeled. And then because of our relationship with Jesus, not just our obedience, but a love relationship, we become faithful as he is faithful, at least in a perfect world. We become like him. His character becomes our character because we have surrendered ourselves. And we talked about that wonderful passage that some of us don't even like to read. We quote it, but deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That does not sound exciting. When I read that in high school and college, I, I felt a little spiritually depressed. Anyone else feel like that when you first read it or you didn't understand it? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, when I first got on fire for Jesus, I would read that passage. I would go, yeah. And then as I kind of mellowed out on the Jesus hype train, I was... I was like, okay, that kind of stinks. I don't like that. Because it feels like I can never make a choice that would benefit me. Not realizing I made the greatest choice of the greatest benefit in Jesus. And the deny yourself is for you, not for him. It's for you. Get out of your own way. What happens when you go after things you want when Jesus has other things for you? How does that go for you? How does it go when you, go, when you tell Jesus what you want and an opportunity presents itself that meets all that criteria, but it's what you wanted? And then you put God's stamp on it. Didn't ask him if you should take it. You just thought, well, I prayed for this. Here it is. And you take it, and guess what happens? Oh, it's not as good as I thought. Because our dreams and our desires are not big enough. They're not big enough for the love of God the love he has for you. His desires are the only ones that will fulfill, so we deny ourselves. That's part of the grace. That's what he wants from us. So when, he's, when Paul's talking to these Jewish Christians and he's talking about the law doesn't save you. It makes you aware of your sin and it makes you aware of your need for Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And only in him can you find what you weren't looking for. What you find is what you wanted, but you couldn't put words to. You with me? And then he goes into this passage, and it's a gospel passage. It is a gospel passage. It is good news. And Paul always comes back to this. In all his letters, it's all about whom? You know the answer. It's not a trick question. It's all about whom? Jesus, always. For everyone has sinned, all in the same boat. That's Paul's statement saying, the law can't save you. It can't because we've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. Yet God in his grace 
freely makes us right with him in his sight. Listen to that. Freely. It costs him, but it didn't cost you. That, we have trouble with that because receiving a gift you don't deserve is really challenging. Receiving one you do deserve is really challenging. I have a hard time receiving a cup of coffee when someone wants to buy one for me. I hate it. Sharon will tell you. I could hear her thoughts. We don't like it. Because we think we have to earn what we get. Right? But that's what we teach. You got to earn your way. You got to earn your way. But something in life, there's the, the hardest things for us to overcome is sin, and we can't earn our way through that. There's nothing you or I can do that can wash that away, folks. We know that. Do we know that? Because we have the hardest time receiving God's grace in our life and getting past that so we can see the abundance of love and, and joy he has for it. Hebrews tell us we got to leave the elementary teachings and not keep reiterating all this stuff because the more and more we do that, we get stuck. Those are good things, but we need to get into meat. There's more than just believing in Jesus, as we would call it, because really it's about trusting Jesus. That's what the belief is in the Greek, is to trust, to throw your trust upon him. We want to know him, and he wants to be known. He's not hiding he want, you're designed to know him. You are. We are all designed to know him, not just about him. I can know all the facts I want about Jeff, but it's not until I start spending time with him that I know him. How many Christians don't spend time to know God? And it's really sad because the Word is a meeting place. This is where we meet with Him, not just read about Him. It's where we begin to engage Him, and the Holy Spirit kicks in. And then we see that God speaks this into our hearts, and then He speaks words of encouragement based off who we are. Through His grace. And it's free. And we've got to take advantage of that. There's nothing in our way now. That's why he says, deny yourself, because the only thing that's going to get in your way is you. There's no circumstance that Jesus isn't greater than. There's no problem that he isn't greater than. The only one that gets in the way is us. It's free. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God has, was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in, in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what we would do in this present time. Now, this is something important to understand, is that Jesus didn't just die for sins, for forgiveness. He also took on the wrath of God. He took that for you and for me. He bore the full extent of God's wrath so you and I wouldn't have to. Let that sit for a minute. God is pure and righteous and sin is an affront to his character. 
but he's a good God. Now, if he was a God that was just after his own righteousness and own self-interest, he would have just wiped this off. But he wants reconciled relationship. Why offer us the second chance? Why offer his one and only son so that we could be reconciled with him? Why? Why? He will always be righteous. He will always be pure. He will always be perfect. That's never threatened. Sin can't even threaten that. And he doesn't want to just destroy us because he's sin. He wants to get rid of it so that you and I can be reconciled with him so we can have relationship. Or otherwise, it's just another religion, another set of do's and don'ts. And how brilliant is our God, because the only way to get right with him is to forget about the do's and don'ts and accept the free gift. And then, through his presence, you will live the do's and don'ts in the way they're meant to be lived, not because you're trying to obey a law, because you're walking in relationship with Jesus. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. It goes beyond the human brain and what it can comprehend. That's an uncreated God for you. If that's not proof of the existence of God, I don't know what is. It's amazing. And then Paul proceeds. Can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Nope. Because the acquittal is not based on law. It's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. Paul's not saying we become immoral. That's not what he's saying. He's saying rightness with God doesn't come through good deeds. Does that mean we don't do good deeds? No, we do. But it comes from a place of God's love for us and our love for him. Through faith. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Nope. Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by what? Faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles, doesn't matter. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. We just said, in fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Only when we have faith in Christ and have relationship. Remember, when we're talking about faith and belief, it's beyond just, just knowing with our minds. Okay? I believe Sharon's a good person. I believe she's fun to be around. Great. But does that mean I have a relationship with her? Does it mean I know her? No. It's not enough. There has to be a sense of trust because of encounter. Trusting. Jesus endured the wrath of God. He endured rejection. Brendan Manning says rejection is the killer of the soul. How many have found that in your life? Some of the deepest despairs are some, rooted in some source of rejection. Rejection of oneself. Shame is a way to self-reject. Someone else rejected you. I think one of the things we miss about Jesus is that when he was on that cross, he was utterly alone. 
My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? Alone and suffering to the point, he would ask God a why question because he doesn't understand. Why would you? I think he understands, but at the same time, it's he doesn't understand because it's the first time in the history of history of anything that he would experience separation because hell is separation from God and he had to experience the wrath of God so that you and I wouldn't have to. It's a deep sorrow that we cannot fathom. But in God's faithfulness, he extends space to receive him and to know him because he desperately wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. In Genesis, it was was about just being with Adam and Eve, and it wasn't enough for them. It was all about relationships. And when we come to know Jesus, we do these big evangelistic things and we bring invitations to accept Jesus and they're great and they're important. But we can never lose sight that it's all about that beautiful, intimate relationship with Jesus that's hard. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. That's why we try to make it simple here and just say, ask him what he wants to say. (laughs) Because anything beyond that is beyond my pay grade. Because that is enough. Because now I've got to i got to practice listening, being still, quieting my spirit. And then i got to respond to what he says. Yikes. But what if he leads me here? What if he leads me there? Who cares? He's the God of the unknown and the God of the known. He's God of everything. And if you're with him, Scripture even says that God's with you and he's for you. Who can be against you? That includes you and me. So when we step in to that invitation to receive Christ and to know Christ, it's to know Christ, not just believe that he died with our minds, but throw our trust on that, throw our lives on that. Back in college, I had a, my brother, my brothers and I are very different people. He's younger, and I always wanted to hang out with him when I was a kid, and um, and play with him, and go do stuff, and, and play sports, or whatever, and he was, he just wanted to draw, and you always saw him like this, hunched over, I'm like, buddy, come on, let's go play, I don't want to, and then I'd throw something out, that's when the teasing would come in, because then he won't spend time with me, so I made his life miserable, <laughs> but one of the things that I didn't recognize at the time, he had the heart for the least of these, for the people that were rejected, and I was, yeah, I wanted to fake it till I made it, you know, I just, I wanted to just not be made fun of. I wanted to get through it. And so I'll just adjust my behavior to look like what I needed to look like to get through. Who's done that? Yeah. But the least of these would be in my living room every day. These people I could not stand. I mean, couldn't stand. I mean, they were just so annoying. And all they did was play video games and draw and, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, and I was going, this is no. No. For me at that time. He brought in one guy that just bothered me. Bothered me. He had a hard upbringing. He was part of the Aryan Brotherhood at the time. or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. And I wouldn't want to be around this guy. But he was wicked intelligent. 
super smart. And he knew it. And then I brought this arrogance, and I just didn't like him. You ever have those people? I just don't like you. And he wasn't into that lifestyle anymore, but he was an atheist. He made that clear. I'm like, why are you in a pastor's home? Why are you even here? Get out. I don't like you. Then he started coming to youth group. Great. He's invading all my spaces. Why are you here? Why are you coming to youth group? You don't want anything to do with God. You hate people. Or at least you say you do. What's going on? But because I felt called to ministry... I would talk to him about Jesus and have these questions. And I admit, he was smarter than me. I mean, he, he brilliant. But I would ask simple, dumb questions, and he would just go, Bleh. and where I, And that's where I learned the power of simplicity, because it can even make the brilliant. I mean, it's like what Scripture says, the wise become fools. And so I, I, I started talking to him more, and I said, okay, Lord, this is me sacrificing for you. <laughs> so we were talking, and, and then he said, would you meet with me outside of this time and, and just talk to me? Oh, my insides are going, no way. No. But ministry me was like, sure. This is my attitude. I'm just giving you an unfiltered look. So we started meeting, and, and it went well, and I, I began to tolerate him. And he was asking good questions, and he was softening. And I will never forget, we were at this place. I think you guys have it out here, but it's called something different. But in California, it was called um, Soup Plantation. It was like this big, I think you call it cucumbers out here. Anyways, it's big sal bar. It's great. It's wonderful. And I thought, well, um, this is a great place to meet because I can just keep getting up and get more food when I don't want to talk to him. That was so sad. Well, look, the story's going to have a good ending, okay? A lot of conviction happened in my heart. But I thought, you know, it gives me an exit strategy. <laughs> I, sorry, hold your thought. I'm going to go get some more stuff. And I would be gone for five minutes at a time. And I knew I only had two hours to meet with him. So I was like, oh, yes. But he finally stopped me in my tracks, and he said, how come you haven't asked me yet? I asked you what? Marry you? I'm like, what's going on? How come you haven't asked me? Asked you what? If I want to give my life to Jesus. And I felt, first I felt guilt. Then I felt shame. And I said, God, I heard God say, get over yourself. (laughs) Okay. And he said, in our conversations, I really have become convinced that Jesus is the way. It's the only way. And I said, that's awesome. Whoa, cool. And I was genuinely excited. But he's only saying it here. He worked it out here. And then he did something I would never dare to do. A few weeks later, he's just, and he's brilliant, remember, and so he's reading, and he's reading up on Scripture, and he's asking me these questions, and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, let's go through it. And I took him to seminary classes with me. And he's sitting in the back, just writing all this stuff up, and he goes, there's something missing for me. I said, what is it? Because I don't know his pain. I said, whoa. Don't do that. 
And he said, and he goes like this. And I'm like, what did you do? He goes, I asked Lord to allow me to feel the sorrow he felt. This kid was depressed and heartbroken for two weeks straight. He saw the brokenness in everyone's life around him that didn't know Jesus, and his heart became broken. And you saw this smart man turn into a tender man. And you saw him understand that the grace of God was his faithfulness to mankind. To give opportunity we couldn't provide for ourselves to experience something that we can never dream of without having to pay the penalty. And I don't know if it was stupidity or courage on this guy's part, but the information wasn't enough for him. I am not telling you to pray that prayer. Don't do it. But what I'm saying is Jesus, and Paul is saying Jesus did it for everyone. He paid that kind of cost, experienced that kind of sorrow, so we could sit here not to say, I need to get fed, but so we can sit here and worship the living God together and know the living God together and model the living God together. That's what he did. Not just for the Jews but for all people. Could he have punished us right away for our sin? Yep, he didn't. He withheld because he knew what he wanted and he wants you. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that. Why would he want me? Because you're looking at yourself through sin. We're told here, let me read it again. For God presented Jesus as a living sacrifice. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead. He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. And what he did was give up what was most precious to him to take his wrath and our sin so that we could know him. And be reconciled. That's what he wants. The Christian life is not always about being this warrior and fighting a battle. Are those things present? Yes. But they have purpose, and the purpose is for relationship. It's not complicated. We've made it such, but it's not. It's what he wants. We're going to see chapter 4 and chapter 5. Faithfulness, Abraham's faithfulness, 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 faithfulness. Because we have to understand that God and know that God is faithful. He's not a wimpy God because grace is imparted to us. That makes him strong. So I I want to close with this. First off, are you with me? It's important. But I want to I close with this. Many of us, many of us have become slaves to the understanding that even as Christians, we've become slaves to a Christian law. 
You know what I mean by that? Sometimes we call that um, religious. Sometimes we call that legalistic. Whatever you want. I don't care what you want to call it. It's not about what you call it, but it's about the posture that doing the right things and saying the right things and believing the right theology is going to get you right relationship. Trusting Jesus in the midst of what you don't know or don't understand gives you right relationship. And we can even take relational truths like this and begin to make it law. And begin to make it something, and if you don't do it this way, you're out. Now, we may not say it that way, but we as the church can treat each other that way. I've seen it. I've probably participated in it at one time or another. Let's not make it what it's not. Let's see it for what it is. It is a God that is desperately in love with you, whether you believe it or not. It is. He is. And he extends his grace because he's faithful to give you space to step in his forgiveness because you can't do it by yourself and to step into a we relationship, you and him. That's why we say the most important thing in life is to be with him. To be with him. I'm like, they don't teach me that in seminary. I spent a fortune to never hear that. Not that seminary's bad, it's good. But that was, that, that brought form to everything in my life. So here, and as we take communion today, as we worship, what is the Lord saying to you about how you've postured yourself with Jesus? This is not about making you feel bad about anything. We want, right, we want to be with Jesus. We want to be in a place where we're engaging him. And if that's not been your life, but you go to church every Sunday, okay, today's a new day. Today's a new day to step in to Jesus. I spent most of my life not doing that, but yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I, I mean, I love him from afar, but I haven't done the good hard work of being right with him because it costs too much, but I can't afford to think about cost. I've given that up by saying, all right, I'm with you. You don't have that luxury. Spoiler alert. You don't have the luxury to always count the cost of what it's going to cost you. Do we think about it? Yes, that's not what I'm talking about. When it prevents us from doing what we know God has called us to do based off the condition of our relationship with him, and we say no to it because it costs too much. No, he paid it all, all of it. And you've said yes to it. So we keep pressing into that yes. Amen? Join me in prayer. Lord, first off, I pray that if there's anything I said that's not of you, I'd ask that you'd remove that from our hearts, that those wouldn't be the things that we hear. And all the things that come from your heart, I pray you would um, allow to manifest in our own. We would hear and see what you want us to hear and see. And I pray in Jesus' name against the spirit that would want to only correct even within ourselves based off of this very 
oh, strict attitude of that was right or that was wrong. Or, uh, but we would clear the deck and allow ourselves to see you for who you are, one that loves us dearly, that gave his one and only son so that we may know you. We may be free from sin and know you for eternity. And you're, you're, want, you're right here wanting to be known. Wanting to be known. Give us the courage to step into that. Regardless of what our past has been. That we would step into it. For your grace, you say, is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are or what we've done. And you make good on your promises. Lord, I, I ask that in our time of presenting our tithes and our offerings, we would give out of faith. We would not be afraid to talk about giving. We would not be afraid uh, to give. That we would trust you in all things. Time, money, resources, relationships, all the above. Help us come to a place in our lives where we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and walk with you. as you lead us. Bless the rest of our time in worship. May we worship you and give you the praise for your worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.
outside there's nothing strong There's nothing stronger Nothing higher Nothing greater Than the name of Jesus Oh, all the honor All the power All the glory To the name of Jesus